Read to him the 29th scroll, sixth verse. Beware the beast man, for he is the devil's pawn, alone among God's primates. He kills for sport, or lust, or greed. Yea, he will murder his brother to possess his brother's land. Let him not breed in great numbers, for he will make a desert of his home and yours. Shun him, drive him back into his jungle lair, for he is the harbinger of death. Welcome to the Three Men in a Retrospective podcast, Planet of the Apes Retrospective Series. My friends, I have convened this extraordinary meeting of the council in order that I may report upon an action which I deemed necessary. Join Matt. You are a good and wise ape. Garrett. The human way is violence and death. And Adam. The only thing they fear more than me is you apes. As they travel through the spectrum of Earth and into the Forbidden Zone, and consequently dissect the most primitive of all film franchises. My God, did we finally do it. From the Charlton Heston starring 1968 original, Take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! To director Tim Burton's 2001 remake, We've been searching for you for so long. All the way through the latest entry, 2024's Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. I don't believe it! The man will see, the man will do, their opinions of how good or inferior each movie in the series truly is. He has a definite gift for mimicry. All coming up, courtesy of Percolated Media. All of human history has led to this moment. Escape from Planet of the Apes. Released May 26, 1971. Budget was $2 million, with a box office gross of $12 million. And this was directed by Don Taylor. How do you make a movie when the previous one ends with the entire planet being destroyed? Well, they somehow found a way and then made two movies after this one, so I guess anything is possible in science fiction. Science fiction, you can do anything, apparently. Yeah, that was my question. I, I believe I said at the end of that podcast, like, you've blown up the world, now what do you do? And someone on this podcast, I'm not going to mention who, I think it rhymes with Batum, said, I wonder if they go back in time. I had two guesses, and I was right on both. (laughs) (laughs) So me being the person who's seen all these movies, I had to bite my lip to the point of bleeding when Adam said time travel because I mouthed son of a bitch. (laughs) Although I should not be surprised because that is the ultimate get-out-of-jail-free card if you are a writer. How do you get yourself out of a corner? Time travel is the easiest way to undo it. Yep. And that was the question Paul Dean was asking himself, because even though that Renith ended with no conceivable way to continue, Fox wanted a sequel, because to the surprise of no one, a sequel to The Planet of the Apes made money. Yeah, that movie ended up doing really well, huh? I mean, we kind of we panned it, and I'm pretty sure we mentioned the critics kind of panned it too, right? It, it did not do well. I mean, two of us gave it a six. Can't really call that panning. Arthur Jacobs sent the writer Paul Dean a telegram saying, Apes exist. Sequel required. Shit. <laughs> you cannot be more direct than that. And Paul Dean said to himself, well, what the hell do I do? Because y- you don't get more definitive than the planet being destroyed. Came up with the idea of time travel using the remnants of Taylor's spaceship to be the device that gets them back in time said, all right, I got that. Where do I go from there? Well, he consulted Pierre Buell, who wrote the original book, to put some touches on the script, specifically with some satire. At the time, they were going to call it sequel. I mean, secret of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> because with the budget being slashed yet again, they'd have to work around that by putting fewer people in ape makeup. So why don't we set it on Earth at the time where humans were still the dominant species and we focus on Zira and Cornelius primarily? Which, you know what? I mean, 
if you don't have Charlton Heston, that's a way to go. You know, those are two characters that kind of stood out in those previous two films. So I could see like focusing on those two characters now the way they do it we'll talk about and let's talk about the real reason why they did it too matt i mean they could save on eight makeup right <laughs> they don't have to make up as many if they get these two characters to do the entire film so i i could see them doing that made sense and it was a good way to respond to the people who said the apes were not the focal point of beneath so you're kind of you're giving the audience and the fans what they want is focus on mm-hmm. the, even though they, they come up with a way to not 100% do that. But they also talked about what's the, the message, you know, because the first one was very prevalent about race relations. The second one had commentary on nuclear war. Came up with some religious overtones, which the previous ones had, but I don't think anybody had on their bingo card this movie would have something to say about abortion. Abortion? Oh <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Which was much like a lot of the stuff in these movies. That was far from taboo. Man alive. Yeah. And as I mentioned in previous shows, uh, me and Jen are watching these decade documentaries. And oh, yeah, this was a huge topic in the 60s and in the 70s, mainly. Ballsy. I'll say that. Very ballsy. Well, speaking of ballsy, this entire production was shot in six weeks. They rushed production because it was a considerably lower budget. And they weren't even sure if they were going to get Kim Hunter and Roddy McDowell back. Because they were only signed for two movies. But they both really liked the script for this one. But they admitted they felt a sense of isolation on the, on the shoot because they were the only two people dressed as the apes. So intentional or not, that does kind of carry through the movie, that isolationism. Mm-hmm. I think that works that way, yeah. And unlike the previous film, this one fared much better with critics. This one actually got some pretty strong word of mouth. Some people said it was almost as good as the first one. And people who did not like Beneath commonly said this was a a step up from that. Do we feel the same way? Well, we have to talk about the movie to do so. And uh, this director, he's also done some night gallery stuff, right? And some Twilight Zones, I think. You know, we talked about Ted Post last week. He was a pretty viable director. What did this guy do to get him the job? Any word on that? Well, Night Gallery was a big one. He did a lot of episodes of that. He did Alfred Hitchcock Presents. But it wasn't until after this that he did some more famous movies, because he did The Omen 2. He did, oh. yeah, not not a ringing endorsement. But he, he had done Ooh. Father of the Bride back in the 50s with Spencer Tracy. That was a big movie. Oh, okay. So he was, he was known. He was a workman director. But I, I think the Rod Serling connection definitely tied him into this franchise. Definitely. But yeah, this, this one has a pretty loose production history, and it's considerably shorter than the previous two movies. So unless you guys have anything else to add, we can get right into this. I know. What about you, Adam? You've been kind of silent here. What were you expecting when you turned this on besides, oh, we're going to get time travel? <laughs> <laughs> I had two things. Either they left the planet, because I knew that it was called Escape. I kept looking for Escape to the Planet of the Apes. And Escape of the Planet of the Apes. Well, it's really hard to find the movie you're looking for when you don't know the frickin' title of the movie. (laughs) (sighs) Jesus Christ. No, I don't want to watch Escape Plan. (laughs) But I almost watched the trailer for this beforehand. I said, no, no, no. I found it. I wanted to go in with no preconceived notion. Um, so I looked up nothing, and I just wanted to go into this completely blind. I'm really glad I did. And all I knew was that we had to leave that planet somehow. And that was an assumption based on the title and the ending of the last. No clue, but boy, was I curious. Because, you know, I wasn't happy about the last one. And I figured that was the start of jumping off the, the cliff. And here we are. Well, we start the movie not reflecting the actual title of the movie because they have already escaped from the planet of the apes. Because uh, the movie yeah. opens in at the time, present day, was 1973 is when this movie set. So a couple years after it was released, but contemporary. And I love how it's almost identical to the ending of the first movie, where it's the beach, they're seeing them come out of the water, it's Taylor's spaceship. And rather than mm-hmm. the apes, rather than the apes coming as an army against Taylor, Nova, and the, the chimps, here it's the, the human military coming to greet what they'll find out to be the apes that have traveled back. 
Yeah. Can't believe that this starts just right here. I mean, there's no pretense. There's no pre We're just mm-hmm. right into this thing. And I, I couldn't believe it because I'm kind of curious. I didn't know who was going to be coming out of this uh, spaceship. And I, it wasn't what I was expecting, but I, man, that wasted no time in putting us right here. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, when this thing opens, they're, they're doing a real build up here because we have helicopters, we have a huge score, just throwing us right into the right into the film. And as somebody who had no idea what he was watching, like Adam, I I, I had no preconceived motion, notions of what I was about ready to see. You know, I'm expecting yet another set of astronauts, like we mentioned last week, to jump out of this thing. And no, not only. Do we have apes coming out of this? We have apes that we're familiar with coming out of this. And so I was already intrigued. I got to say, this was quite a startling way to start this film. This one does not have the previously on Planet of the Apes that Beneath opened with. Uh, This one throws you Mm -hmm. right in, which is also, for modern sensibilities, it'd be surprising considering how the previous movie ended. You think you would see them actually getting off the planet, but you never do. There's never a flashback. It's all through dialogue. I I will say... The entire movie, I'm waiting for some explanation or scene or flashback. And then, you know what? Sometimes less is more, and it doesn't bug me by the end of it, but I'm just surprised. You would never, ever have that nowadays. Nowadays, you would have that escape teased, and it would be in two-minute increments throughout the entire course of the film. Well, it's also not what you would expect because there's three of them. You have Cornelius and Zero, who we've seen, but Dr. Milo is a character we have not been introduced to before. We might as well put a red shirt on him when you have Cornelius, Zira, and Other. Yes, and he's played by Salmoneo, who was a, a, sort of a big star, because he was, you know, in Rebel Without a Cause. But much like Ryder McDowell, he was kind of a, a trendsetter as far as being claimed, he confirmed he was bisexual, but even at the time, that was still a big break for a, for a star. This was his last movie before he died. I'm so glad to see Zero and Cornelius back. You know, they're in the last one, but really downplayed, you know, much more of a minor, minor role. Garrett, you had mentioned about Roddy McDowell, and I was kind of blasé about how much he brought to Cornelius. I was completely wrong, because having him back under that eight suit and makeup, it it's night and day what he brings to Cornelius. Yeah, I agree with that. As I mentioned, if you're going to bring back any two, these are the two that I would want to see, especially Roddy McDowell in this ape makeup and i'm, I'm with you adam I, I i think him being absent last week even though his character didn't have too much to do in fact he had maybe two scenes it was a real a real happy moment when i saw that roddy mcdowell was back and he's back in the makeup and he is going to be a main proponent of this movie it was good to see and i knew i was in good hands at least performance wise when i see these two apes back it's the inverse of of the first movie where they arrive and it's flipped where the apes are now the the anomaly in a world dominated by humans they are not shot on sight which you would expect given the time yeah. period yeah uh, and that it's military it's, yeah. it's amazing that you know military shows up everything that's there but it's much more welcoming than i expected that we were going to get and they're ultimately captured and sent to the la zoo but they're not really handcuffed and you know beaten into submission it's kind of, it's a relatively complacent transportation that we see. And they don't talk for the first 10 plus minutes of the movie where you, you see them being transported. They're talking about the general who's there with a guy explaining that, you know, they, they look like apes and they're all surprisingly calm for the fact that they just witnessed astronaut apes arrive on the planet. I thought of that and, I had to remember that this is only a couple years after we landed on the moon and therefore only about six years before we did put chimpanzees up into space. And I think there's something about those chimpanzees coming back to Earth. Yeah, this movie it does the inverse, right? Like in the first movie, we had humans come into what we thought was another planet it ended up being Earth. And the apes are the ones who are trying to understand the human in that because they, they're not looked fondly upon. Here we've seen the apes arrive and the humans are trying to figure out the apes. And I knew eventually this series was going to go here. I knew eventually we would get apes integrating into a human world instead of the other way around. I like the fact that we're jumping in and we're seeing it from the human's point of view this time in the beginning stages here because they're trying to figure it out too. They're like, well, they seem to not want war, but 
they don't really look look at us too fondly. And that's the kind of stuff I really missed last film. Last film was a complete departure from what Serling had started. And I feel like this is more of a continuation of what Serling had started in that first film. I also like that the humans are not to, to the perception of what the apes think they are. Like they're, they're civilized. They're not brutish. You know, they're not thinking violence first and ask questions later. You know, it's pretty lackadaisical, all things considered, but they go to the LA zoo and they're being observed by two other scientists, Dr. Brenton and Dr. Dixon, who are one of, in addition to Taylor, they're like the only humans that treat them with real compassion. Uh, they're kind of the, it's the inverse. They're the Cornelius and Zira of this movie for the apes. Yeah, yep. it's that exact dichotomy brought back into this one, which is good because you to play off that original, you know, I'm going to say it right here. It feels like a sequel to that first film. You know, it could play that way. The only thing I kind of wish they did, they would do it nowadays, but I was surprised that that's not Linda Harrison Nova playing that doctor because I thought it was at first. She has that same beauty to her, but that would be that kind of thing you would have now is you'd get that. You know, somebody who was in the different role in a prequel or in a previous film back in this characterization. When the scientists leave, apes talk amongst themselves, saying that they're at a time where apes are not allowed to speak, so they should remain silent. But they can't, Zira can't allow herself to be silenced at the the injustice of being fed a banana. (laughs) That is a cliche too far. That's weird. Like, these apes hate bananas. They fucking hate them. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if that's like kind of an inside joke between the filmmakers or whatnot, but I thought that was a interesting trait to give these things. And, and, and it, is it because they feel demeaned? They like feel demeaning. degraded when they're yeah. giving it to them. Like they they they, they feel looked down upon, or is it just because they really don't like bananas? It's a mix of both. Because I also don't like being called monkeys. I guess it's the the term Negro for their society. Uh, if you're if you're going to look for like a race component, that's still here in this in this movie, but it's much more about instead of using like racial allegories, it's much more just society in general. And, and once you get to the, the, the second half of the movie, it's about pro-life versus pro-choice among other things, but they're caged next to a gorilla. And in the, the convenience of all conveniences, Dr. Milo is killed by the gorilla because he backs too far into the cage. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Which by the way, much like the previous two movies, a lot of people die in this movie. <laughs> Another G-rated movie, too. I was surprised by that. <laughs> like we're seeing a lot of... Yeah, you're right. A lot of deaths in this one. They're, they continue to be observed by Dixon and Branton, including putting a bunch of colored blocks in front of Zira, and she demonstrates cognizance well beyond what a chimpanzee should have around the time because she makes the giant staircase, and then they ultimately reveal that they can speak. And rather than being subject to immediate dissection and amputation... They're, they have an actual conversation. Like Humans are being shown to be much more compassionate than they would perceive them to be. I like that there's two parts of this, that the humans are not what they expect, you know, and that it's making them rethink their thoughts and what they've been taught of them. But also one of their own kind was killed by an ape. So they're seeing the, the de-evolution of who they, you know, become, but they're seeing humans are not the way that they've seen them. So it's... It transposes more than just themselves, and I really enjoy that. That's a that's a good point, Adam. I, I I enjoy that these apes. Everything is not as black and white as they thought it was. They are learning not only about human society, but they're learning about themselves. So rather than being, as I said, experimented upon, we cut to the president giving a debriefing of what's happened. So it's not they're not doing the CIA men in black type of thing where they're going to keep this entirely secret. Uh, but they have to figure out how to investigate properly. So they form a presidential commission and we get a couple of hearing sequences where they talk about what to do, which is much more civilized than you would expect uh, for this type of movie. Like they're, they're looking at this from the almost a, a very narrow political view. I do have a little bit of an issue figuring out who the enemy is here. You know, we have some humans here. We're we're introduced to a bunch of them in this room. But did anyone else have that problem of, okay, who exactly is the enemy besides just humans? Like, are we supposed to think 
that these apes are all in the right and the humans are the ones like I, I had a hard time pinpointing that. I do too. And I like that. It's not clean. This feels like that type of twilight zone feel that the first one did that the second one was lacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are, there are no clear cut answers in this movie. Um, which harkens back to the first one. You know, there is someone, you have a doctor in this movie who is much like Zaius, where he is the antagonist more than he's the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, although you could argue this one's more heinous because Dr. Zaius doesn't murder anybody. At least that we've seen. Who knows? Maybe they'll at least, Yeah, at least that we've seen. Yeah. But they're a little bit reluctant to talk about what they're saying. They, the commissioners think it's just a, a song and dance, like a ventriloquist show, as they say. But Cornelius and Zira reveal that they're sentient, they can speak, they talk about their society, but they deny the knowledge of Colonel Taylor ever existing, despite the fact that they use Taylor's ship to come back, because they don't know how that's going to... Revealing that he's dead, what chain reaction would that set off? The writing here is sharp and smart. I like the comments that are made. And even the, you know, does he speak and <laughs> when she lets me? It's just, I mean, it's a... That relationship commentary between those two is so sweet and, and done nicely in this commission. And it reminds me of a different version that we got in that first film when Taylor was on trial or before their commission. You know, but this is just it's and we get to it in a little bit, but it's almost like an alternate ver an alternate universe version of that first film. So they do reveal that they came from the future and they escaped Earth when as a result of war breaking out. But they're very coy about saying who started the war and what the end result was because of, you know, like I said, the, the consequences that could come from that. So because there's no, at the time, circumstantial evidence to label them as enemies of the state, they're instead welcomed as guests of the government and sort of shown off like like we show off animals in a zoo. You know, because they're, they're taken on tour, they're given human suits like she gets put in a dress they get human clothing they're put up in a nice hotel they're shown around like a dog and pony show mm-hmm. all the things i was expecting i did not think that we were gonna suddenly shift into watching crocodile dundee that's <laughs> 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 kind of what happens here fish out of water a, that's not you know I, I have fun with this i know some people may be like Ugh, this is the worst stupid i i'm having fun because it's almost Everybody here is in on what's going on, so I'm smiling, I'm laughing, and there's enough kind of self-realization of the culture, even in that time, that it's poking at the good and the bad of what's going on. Well, there is that also, this is the this is the voyage home of the Planet of the Apes movies to compare it to Star Trek. Where it, is, yeah. it is very much, you know... Considerably more comedic. There's a lot of fish out of water humor. Um, it does have a message, much like Voyage Home ultimately does. But you know, you're comparing it to you know, if Beneath is the Wrath of Khan as far as just the tone and being more serious, this is much lighter than the previous entry. There'll be whales here, and I don't just yeah. say that because Khan is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised yes. to see him here. Yeah, the lighter tone is a very welcome tone too. I felt the last movie, especially, really took itself a little too serious, uh, especially when we get to the nuclear war stuff by the end of it. You know, and yeah, the lighter tone here, even though we are going to get some deep subject matter, as you mentioned, the pacing is much better. Yeah, this one is not an outright farce, though. That's that's the thing that this movie. Yeah is able to balance. Yeah. It never goes into being just an outright, you know, slapstick comedy. There's actual, they'll make jokes about the circumstances, but there is a, there is a point where the movie shifts without becoming a different movie entirely. Like you could argue beneath does. So the apes explain secretly to Stephanie and Lewis, the other two doctors that humans are treated as, you know, they're hunted for sport. They're dissected. They're experimented upon. And they confide in them that the Earth is going to be uh, wiped out because of the humans. And what I appreciate about this from a writing perspective is that a lesser movie would have the two humans be the ones to sell out the apes to the government. But it's done in this movie through underhanded means. And basically, like, to go with the abortion, Hazlitt is kind of a date rapist with information. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, Bill Cosby must love this movie. 
<laughs> Jesus. Grape juice pus. <laughs> yeah, instead of grape juice, it's uh, jello pudding pops. Now, and the scientists have a logical reaction of like, oh my god, like this we're in danger of wiping ourselves out, but they're still like, they don't turn on the apes whatsoever, but they tell them until we figure out what's going to happen with these hearings, just don't mention that. But I like how they're treated, you know, cause it's the sixties, early seventies. They're treated like apes coming to America. It's like when the Beatles broke out, like it's that level of celebrity and cult of personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're, they're celebrities. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that in a movie from the 70s, you know, but but your comparison's perfect. It is like the Beatles when they arrived in the States. It's kind of the same thing. So we got more hearings with the president, in particular his advisor, Dr. Haslin, who is referenced in the first movie. It's very quick because Taylor has a line about this proving Haslin's theory of time paradox or whatever the line is. And he mentions that, you know, with all this information, who knows what's going to happen, so so what do we do? And they have a conversation about, I don't know if it's here or later in the movie, but there's a lot of stuff. These scenes are the, the ethical dilemmas of the movie, where they talk about that the killing Hitler as a child, and some of those other, yes. those other time yeah. paradox tropes that have always been talked about with time travel. Mm-hmm. Again, this this feels this feels like it is kind of piggybacking, because this is the kind of stuff that Sterling brought up on Twilight Zone, too. It's the same stuff. Love those ethical conversations, those dilemmas. Realize having that conversation back in this Vietnam peacetime, it would have been just amazing to even have those conversations. But we've all heard that. Is it right to go back in time and kill Hitler as a baby? I don't know if it if that conversation existed before here, but to hear it here in a movie from 73, you know, 50 years ago, blew me away. Just to have that level of discourse. And Haslam and the president say we're not going to, you know, have them executed or tried for war crimes or anything, but they got to find out how do apes become the dominant species? Because there's clearly, there is a pathway for that to happen. There's a news presentation all across the world, sort of like, because this came out the same year, when they broadcast across the world in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory about the golden tickets. Oh, nice. It kind of reminded me of that. Like, there is sort of a documentarian style to these these news sequences, yeah. And this is the first time I've heard about the painter painting himself and it keeps going until it's an infinite uh, sequence. That's kind of a neat way to explain time travel at this time. Mm-hmm. That is a, you could do that now and it would work. That is a smarter way to explain time travel, paradoxes, and all that than we have seen in a lot of movies for the last 20, 30 years. This actually works really well, and it's done in like 30 seconds. Yeah, I was not expecting this movie to come off as ahead of its time as it is. You know, with its lack of action, and there is hardly any action in this movie, it is still a very captivating watch. So throughout this period of them being, I don't want to say held hostage, but, you know, there is a certain amount of skepticism on Cornelius' part. He does mention that the human race does eventually wipe themselves out and zero reveals that she is pregnant guys i mean think about this like if there were a set of beings apes or not you know who came down and said yeah your race is going to wipe itself out in a set of in in the future like how would you take that you know would they be would you take them as crazy would you take them as being authentic and then on top of it you know, you have Zira announcing herself as pregnant, and then we're going to get into the abortion issue. But it's a lot of this prophetic talk and the ap- apocalyptic conversations that they're having here is what brings me into this movie. Because here are some beings claiming they're from the future saying, yeah, your race is going to wipe itself out. It'll just make you look at them and say, oh, OK, you 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 freaking monkeys are crazy. We, we attacked racism in the first and, and a little bit in the second film here. We're attacking different issues, and I admire the balls on this movie to take these issues on. So throughout the couple's 15 minutes of fame, Haslin realizes he has to find some way to explain how the chimps came and whether or not they used humans as lab rats. So he gets Zira drunk, which is alluded to earlier when they explain what champagne is. They call it, like, yeah. grape juice plus. Yes. And he gets her to say that, you know, the ship's date was 19... 19- Taylor's exposition was 1971, and they're from the year 2340-something, I think is what she says. So the president's now like, all right, we got to 
figure out what actually happens and whether or not the Earth is actually going to be destroyed. So Cornelius and Zira are taken to a CIA full-on interrogation, and they play back the recording where she mentions in the courtroom about to say the word dissection, but she catches herself, but they keep beating that dead horse. Eventually, it's revealed, they, they crack that, yes, you know, we, in our culture, we experimented on humans because they were uncivilized, hunted for sport. And they also drop this bit of knowledge, more context, that the reason why humans took on apes as pets is because there was a plague that killed all the dogs and cats. So man needed some kind of species to put dominance over, and they chose apes, who revolted. Yep. Completely out of left field, would never have expected. But again, a social commentary that humans weren't going to live without a pet that they could rule over. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's not wrong. You know, we do yeah. that. So, it, you know, the mankind has got to have a pet just to assert dominance. And eventually that pet bites back. There, it, This is compelling, compelling stuff. This is also the, you know, smart bit of commentary where man chose dominance over the species that it is genetically closest to because of how much we have in common. And this is the, you know, they literally use the word slavery. So Haslund says, all right, we got to abort the baby to prevent this future from, from happening. So now we're getting into, like, the real subsection of time travel movies, which is the whole paradoxical element. Is time an open loop? Is it a closed loop? And this has been done in a lot of movies. Like, Back to the Future really kind of made this famous for a whole generation. You have movies like Looper that deal with that, about, like, killing yourself. And, and <sighs> like, so, so time travel is, like, this movie talks about, like, you know, does killing their unborn child stop the chimpocalypse or, or the future? <laughs> but I uh, love these they, kind of philosophical discussions. I really do, because when it comes to time, when it comes to how things are set up, and this is the seeds have been the banana trees have been planted throughout, you know, about how they came to be the time frame human, the dominance of apes. And it's like those, those trees are now bearing fruit as we get here towards the end, you know, middle and, and last third of the film for what's come along. And it's just, it's building upon itself. And there's no proof. Like they don't have a time machine to go check or go into the future and, and see for themselves. So they have to take this, the humans have to take this at face value. So they drug her up once again to get her to reveal, you know, that, you know, she did actually dissect them, but she has no regrets about doing this because they, they don't like, these characters don't like having to carry secrets, which they had to do in their own society when Taylor showed up. I like also at no point do they kind of turn, you know, I mean, they're, they're looking at them as scientists, as intellectuals, Zara and Cornelius, like they, they understand what the humans are doing, what they're going through, because it's exactly how they themselves acted. Um, and they went, they did the same things. And I appreciate that they're calling themselves out that these people are who we are. We are who they are. Yeah. And it's here where the president meets again with Haslin and the committee chooses to announce that they're not going to, like I said, they're not going to murder Cornelius and Zira or send them to prison or anything, but they say that her pregnancy has to be terminated and that the apes are going to be sterilized so that they cannot bear any more children. It's important to note, Roe v. Wade was two years after this, but this movie takes place in the year that Roe v. Wade happened, 73. That's crazy. Like it's just one of those really insane coincidences when you when you go back and look. Mm-hmm. And the president's really reluctant to do this. Like this is not one of those movies where the president is the is the naive seen it all like ultimate nihilist of just terrified of everything. Like cuz cuz that's kind of how they were portrayed in like the 50s with those really low budget sci-fi B movies. You know, there there there's much more of a philosophical conversation that happens with this quote-unquote president. I mean, he's not based on anybody, which is a good thing. But Zero and Cornelius are sort of quote unquote taken into custody. The orderly arrives to give them food, but he makes the mistake of calling him a monkey, and Cornelius snaps and unbeknownst to him kills the orderly. Yeah, powerful scene here. So this kind of sets the the rest of the movie in motion because this this gives Haslin the ultimate smoking gun of yeah, they're savages and they'll they'll kill us all because they literally just murdered somebody. They don't know it was accidental or not. 
So this is kind of the, you know, if you suspect someone of being a communist, finding finding a copy of the manifesto in their dressing room. Yeah, this movie, it's it seems it's very nihilistic, isn't it? Yeah, but not to the not to the extent of the previous movie. Not to the extent of the previous movie, but we're still. We're exploring this abortion. I mean, I'm not saying that as a detriment to it, by the way. I, I think, again, ballsy way to go after just the apocalyptic ending of the last film. And I think it's a very creative way to go. I, I, I am not putting the, the, the choices down. What I'm saying is we are in the midst of a nihilistic franchise, boys. And I'm surprised these two have lasted as long as they have. Well, you can enjoy their presence for the next 20 minutes. Okay. All right, let's just put it this way. I don't loathe them as much as they loathe bananas. <laughs> but I like how this movie ultimately sort of justifies us wiping ourselves out because we're, 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 we have this moment of realizing that we're not alone in the universe and also foreshadowing our own destruction, but yet it takes one dead human for us to brand them all as savages. So it's kind of making the point of, yeah, we kind of deserve this no matter what sort of paradoxical element you put upon it. I think that there's a there's the discourse to be had if this is what brings our downfall. The apes arriving here, if their presence contributes to the ending of mankind, shouldn't we eliminate, not just the baby, shouldn't we eliminate the three of them and eliminate that risk? I know that's the extreme one side, but it's if this is what causes it, don't you have to, isn't that the killing Hitler in the crib argument? Don't you have to perpetuate, propagate the species? Yep. So they get the the orders to openly advocate for their execution, but the president says, no, bring them in alive because he mentions uh, capital punishment without without due process. Like, yeah, try making this movie nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> when they're having these, you know, the commissions, just like, look, these people didn't do anything, you know, they're right about this, they're right about this. However, we're not going to let the baby because it's going to do this. So it never, other than, like, nobody in this, I can even say, is just evil for evil's sake, except maybe one person. Like, it, it doesn't go that, in that realm, and it's, it's fascinating. It's a whole thing of, like, the fact that there's potential for destruction do you let it play out and see if you can course correct? No, they choose to just eliminate it entirely. Then we cut to the one thing I was not expecting to see in this movie, Ricardo Montalban showing up running a circus. I did like a triple take. I wasn't sure if that was him or not. And then as soon as I looked, and I, I didn't want to look at the credits, I looked, I looked, I'm like, oh yeah, that is Khan. <laughs> and I like him here. I, I think he's a very welcome presence here. You know, this, this franchise has brought these actors in, and, you know, these are actors that we've known since we were kids, but I, I didn't know that he was in this series, and when he popped up, I, it was a nice surprise. I had to remember, I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is before then. I'm like, wait, wait, wait no, 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 because he was in Space Seed, which is the yes. the episode that predates, you know, the Wrath of Khan. And I'm like, that voice, there's no way it's not. And it, I couldn't help it. I had to make sure. It, I didn't need to, because there's only one, you know, Ricardo Montalban, um, but even without the fake chess piece, it, it's a welcome addition I wasn't expecting. Yeah, This was also before Fantasy Island. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's running his own circus where he has an ape in, in his circus that has also given birth. So they they bring Cornelius and Zira to Armando. The baby's born. They name him Milo in honor of the, the doctor that was with them. And they realize that with Everything that's happening, more than likely they're going to be hunted and presumably killed. So Armando says, you guys should leave and go on the run and basically become fugitives from the law. It's amazing that they know, like they understand it and they're not – they know it's what's going to happen. They kind of accept it as an inevitability, and it's, it's sad, but it's understood. I will say when they introduce this other ape and its baby, I have no doubt whatsoever what's going to happen here. <laughs> You might as well call it Pony Express. It's so telegraphed. I, I don't hate it though. Um, it's a smart setup, but I have no doubt what's happening. Yeah, they they pull the it's like the Prince and the Pauper type of. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah, I'm with you, Adam. I I kind of had an idea where it was going. I mean, I didn't know for sure. That's the thing about these movies is you know we we get these really just harrowing endings and 
I kind of had a feeling of what what the final image was going to be here, but all this talk about abortion and this baby actually being born, I was just thinking, where can they go with this now that the baby's actually been born? Because you could have just had a you know a future of inevitability, where no matter yeah. what, this is the inevitable state. Yeah, it absolutely could have you know still still gone different ways, or it could have just been a vision of. Of, I don't know, a monkey ape seeing something and that, you know, coming back to play later. Who knows? Because they still haven't seen the other two that we're going to watch in these. Um, I'm just, I like the way that it's bringing our current apes into the future apes and what it means for the future of the planet. Like, we've left bombs out of this one. You know, that was so much of the first two, and it's not a, really a part of this. And that's okay, because I like what it's doing instead. Yeah, this one does not have the overarching plot point of like nuclear. They they mention it's a they mention that it's a weapon of their own making, but they don't outright say nuclear war, or nuclear holocaust, or anything of that sort. So knowing that they have to leave, Zira asks to speak with Halois, the the other chimpanzee. I'm sure, this will have no effect on the rest of the movie, <laughs> but in the event that they want to kill themselves. Uh, he gives Cornelius a pistol as they set them off on their way. And the last 10, 15 minutes of this movie is nothing but a chase movie. That I do love how this climax of this movie takes place on a warship. You know what I thought of, though, Matt? When we talked last week, we talked about Ted Post, and we talked about the fact that he worked on those Dirty Harry movies. I thought about the end of, which one was the one with the cops? Was that Magnum Force? Yeah, that was Magnum yeah, Force. Yeah, that's the one he directed. Yeah, that's what that's what I thought of was the end of that movie, which isn't a bad feeling, you know. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I couldn't help but think of that as when I'm, I'm seeing this chase on this ship. One of the things that I was struck by as we get to the end, one, that they ask for a weapon to kill themselves. It was just like a, ooh, wow, that's kind of, it. I mean, it's, it's smart, but wow, that's pretty damn dark. But then we get to the boat, we get here to the end, and I'm like, oh, shit, okay, budgets ran out. <laughs> I yeah. mean, this whole thing has been, you yes. know, a little, it, it's been considerably low budget. It's been, and I think there's an amazing charm to that, that it feels like a 70s TV movie. It, and that's not a criticism. I think they do an amazing job with the budget of this film. I think we ran out of it here at the end. The army shows up and there's about 20 people. Yeah, this is <laughs> sort of like, uh, last shot. <laughs> yeah, this, this is sort of like uh, the first X-Men movie where they, yes. they ran out of money. So we have to end it in a gift shop. And it's also like they're in the they're in the desert of New Mexico, so you don't really have to do a lot of extensive location shooting. They go onto a warship. They're tracked there. Haslins tells literally stop or I'll shoot. And I'm going to preface this by saying this is a G-rated movie. Zira this is, is shot. Zira is shot. The baby is also killed, and then he shoots the baby like three or four times, and the camera cuts to him shooting the wrapped dummy. He is then shot by Cornelius, and then Cornelius is shot by a sniper. Zira proceeds to toss the dead baby over the side of the boat. Moses parallel right there. And they both die. These movies are three for three with, like, downtrodden endings. I was going to say, they just try to outdo each other with each one. I mean, we have two more of these to go. How much darker can they get? I keep saying that every week, but Jesus Christ. I think they were so taken aback by the response to the end of that first film. They feel like they need to outdo the other. But my God, like this is crazy. And I, I had that Moses Parallel written down as well, Matt, a very obvious one. You know what? God damn. I have to say, as much as I didn't like that last film, I did like the ending to it, and I'm liking the ending to this one, too. I think this is a dark, but again, unexpected way to go. Satisfying, and it fits in the story that's been going on here. So, yeah, absolutely. But the movie's not yet over, because we have to end on some glimmer of hope. Well, depending on whether or not you side with the humans or not. Zira did indeed switch babies, and Armando was aware of that, and the baby begins to talk by saying, Baba. You hear that multiple times as the credits begin to roll. Edited very poorly. <laughs> this is like one of those wind-up toys. You turn it on once, and instead of actually redoing and pulling the string again, you just rewind the tape and do it over and over and over again. <laughs> this looks pretty bad. <laughs> it, it did, though. It made me think that that's what they did to Zira at the, at the uh, interrogation. When it was the, the set, the set, the set, the set. It sounds like a hiccup. 
that's what it's going to feel here. Um, yeah, that, that rewind, fast forward, rewind, fast forward is a, it's a weird effect. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And the mouth, yeah. the mouth, uh, lip syncing is not up to par. Nope. <laughs> but I do like the mama, mama. I knew it was coming. Uh, there is no surprise, but that doesn't take away from the moment. And yeah, it is a it, powerful moment. Like you're realizing that this baby doesn't have any parents anymore. And God, I, I I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna theorize about the sequel yet. But I have a feeling that this is who we're gonna be following. And they set up the potential because science, like, there's no way that they know. But they told us all it takes is one intelligent ape to be able to have a spawn of another intelligent ape. You don't have to have both parents. You only have to have one. There's no way to know that, but like they laid the tracks for whatever is going to come forward. And that's how the movie ends. So if, if you're pro-humanity, we still didn't do anything to alter the course, if you believe in that, because the, the baby survived. So they didn't close the loop. And if you were the pro-apes, you're depressed as shit because they got shot and killed. So that does it for Escape from the Planet of the Apes, but this franchise can't escape pessimistic endings in fact if anything it's a, it's a calling card this series by this juncture so on a scale of one to ten what do you give escape from the planet of the apes last time i went to adam first so this time i'll go to garrett first okay the end of the last movie as as i mentioned as bad as that last last week's movie was i thought the ending was a real ballsy way to go where the hell do you go after that we go to this movie and you know what as much as we talked about the ending to this one and as nihilistic as it is i had a pretty good time watching this one as compared to last week now i do understand you know the budget two million dollars we are working with less apes here we're like working with less ape makeup but you know what if you have roddy mcdowell you know you only need one if you have Roddy McDowell. Kim Hunter as Zira is really good as well. So if you're going to keep two, these are the two to keep. And I do enjoy going through their plight here. Now, the fact they take on abortion, just like Nuclear War last week, very, very ballsy, as I've mentioned. But I think they do it in a very smooth way. Uh, this movie moves pretty quickly. It's an hour and 35 minutes or so. I didn't really think about it. I watched it twice for this podcast, and I enjoyed the ride that the movie took me on. And I think all good science fiction provokes. All good science fiction makes you think. And the end of this movie, again, makes you think. And throughout the course of this movie, as they're talking to them and they are explaining what has happened, as we've seen happen in previous entries, you know, it, it makes the people on the screen think, and it makes us think. Like, how would we handle this situation? And that's what I really found myself thinking. You know, I couldn't really put myself in Charlton Heston's shoes in the first film. I couldn't put myself in anyone's shoes in the last film as well. I put myself in these human shoes thinking, God damn, what if these apes did come down and I'm having, and they're trying to convince me of where they came from? How would I react? I would react probably very similarly to the way these humans act. And that is what good science fiction does. It puts you in very, very um, otherworldly shoes. And uh, I, I enjoyed watching this movie both times I watched it for this podcast. Yeah, there are some shoddy moments. The last shot, as as captivating as it is, it's, it's a very bad effect, and it makes you laugh. But you know what? For a movie made from the 70s, it, it's a provocative film, and it's a, it's a pretty good ride. So Escape from the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Pretty good ride, and a vast improvement over last week's film. Adam, what say you? I was amazed how downtrodden I was on the last film, and because of that, I didn't have a lot of expectations for this one. Had no idea where it was going to go. I did not necessarily think that we were going to go back in time, but I'm glad we did. Like It took a sci-fi movie from the future, and it placed it in today, like the exact today that it was when this movie came out. Um, I think that was a brilliant motif to go about because it used futuristic sci-fi elements to take modern political, socio discussions and make it relevant. And that worked extremely well. It worked well in the first Planet of the Apes. I didn't feel that it did that in the second one, but I feel that this works as a great component to that first Planet of the Apes film. You need the ending of the second one to get here, maybe. Um, but I think this one works extremely well. We don't need Charlton Heston. Uh, we don't need fake Taylor, you know, that we had in that second one. 
Cornelius and Zira are capable of carrying this thing throughout, and bravo to them for it. The political discussions, the presidential discussions, the what comes first, the chicken or the egg, the future of humanity, all of that, the time travel, the snake eating its own tail moment of of you know a painter painting himself into the painting that he's painting that stuff is so smart and such a good discussion it's not about apes in a planet of the apes movie and i appreciate the brilliant sci-fi element that it brought to it i love the discussions that this type of sci-fi has i wish there was more of this stuff that existed today and i think in 1973 it is a fantastic written movie fantastically written movie that isn't as good as the first one, but harkens pretty damn close to it. This is the sequel I wanted last week. I'm really glad that it's here. I did not expect it whatsoever. I really didn't. The thoughtfulness that goes into this is exactly what I want in this kind of heady sci-fi, and I'm happy for it. My score is the exact same as Garrett. It's a 7 on 10. Yeah, some of the production elements feels very 70s TV, but it does not take away from my enjoyment of the film. I love the nihilism because it makes me think, and I love just the possibilities of the discussion you can have with this kind of film. You know, Matt, before you go, Adam, I have to say I'm surprised at your response to this film because I know you as a very political person, and I was wondering how you would feel about the way they tackled the issues that they do in this. Yeah, because to me, I love the discussion. You know, I really do, because nobody is insulting or taking away from anybody's side. And and I think that is great. You could not have this today because one side would go into its corner. The other side would go into its other corner and everybody would fight it out. And instead, this is the type of stuff that is I'm just so happy it exists. <sighs> Gotta be that guy. <laughs> oh, boy. Here we go. No, I'm just fucking with you. I'm in lockstep. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think this is almost as good as the first one. Almost. I, I do think it's it's undercut a little bit just by some budget restraints, and it doesn't have the the shock and awe that the first one necessarily does. But I think it, it shows that you can be very economical with science fiction and still make something really provocative and, th- and thought out. Like I think both sides of the argument that this movie is portraying Neither one is shortchanged. And for a Planet of the Apes movie that does not take place yet on the Planet of the Apes, I think the apes are still the strongest part of the movie. The, the performance is, you know, it goes to show that these actors really took this seriously and were correct in their assumption that this was a good script. And I think considering how easy it could have been to just make a movie, yeah, they went back in time and fixed everything to prevent the future. That's not what this movie does. It sort of doubles down that we are destined, almost predetermined, to wipe ourselves out. So it's a downtrodden ending, but you know there is still that. D- depending on your perception, it's it's a pretty damn good movie. It's certainly above par for a lot of sequels you were getting, certainly around this time, let alone years later. So I think this is a pretty strong entry in the franchise overall. And I'm going to go a little bit higher than you guys and go 7.5 out of 10. I think it's it's really, really good. I'd, I'd go an 8 if there were just a couple of of things that they fixed with some of the budget. But considering the, the pre movie, which I did like, I think I like it the most of the three of us, uh, I think this one is a big step up. So where do you go after you, I don't want to say course correct, but you, you did the impossible of writing yourselves out of that corner? That is something I want. I was wondering because they killed off my two ape characters. So now where do you go? Like, do that? We have already done time travel, but we don't have any apes left to time travel. So I don't know where the hell they go from here. Well, I know where they go. Adam, you got to guess time travel again. Sort of. I'm gonna guess this. I'm gonna guess where we're gonna go is gonna be my absolute least favorite types when we have a big series and i think we're gonna get a mid cool which is my like least freaking favorite because i think we've seen the beginning and we've seen the end so i think we're gonna try to shoehorn a story into the middle of it all and i know the title of the next one so i think we're gonna probably see where it starts quote unquote where the apes like really come kind of come to be and I hate when you try to force a story into the middle of a story you've already told, Star Wars. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, we'll see where it goes. 
Yeah, so next week is the fourth entry in the series. Came out a year later. So until next week, when we review Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, can you read a map? I'm a podcaster. I can't even draw one. Thank you, guys. Let me make a last appeal to your reason before we inflict more of this on you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast. Thank you. Join us next week for an entirely new review. Tell me something, McDonald. Can we make the future what we wish? And if you would be so kind, please take a moment and give us a positive review and rating on your podcast platform of choice. Aldo was right. War has come. It truly helps others find and discover our podcasts. So many questions I want to ask. And if you enjoyed this review, please head on over to percolatedmedia.net or search your podcast platform of choice to access our Percolated Media archives and hear our reviews of other franchises like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Pirates of the Caribbean, the films adapted from the published works of Stephen King, Top Gun, the DC Universe featuring Batman, the Superman DC Universe, and so many more. And so, Mandemus, we must be patient and wait. The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast is produced by Garrett, Matt, Adam, and Nathan. Do they look like just apes to you? Given the power to alter the future, have we the right to use it? The Three Men in a Retrospective Podcast is edited by Garrett. I'll abide by that finding. You see what I have to say? The Three Men and a Retrospective Podcast is voice narrated by Adam. You just imagine that he hurt you. For the moment, we should follow their example. The Three Men and a Retrospective Podcast is for review and discussion, and all clips, music, and audio cues are used as such. In one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star, and one of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet, is now dead. surprised that that's not linda harrison nova playing that doctor because i thought it was at first she has that same beauty to her but that would be that kind of thing you would have now is you'd get that you know somebody who was in the different role in a prequel or in a previous film back in this characterization jj abrams isn't doing the new one is he because <laughs> that's exactly what he would do <laughs> no it's worse west ball who's he the guy who did the maze runner movies Boy, I never saw those. Yeah, so I'm sure we're in excellent hands. <laughs> <laughs> but when the scientists leave... And we get to it in a little bit, but it's almost like an alternate ver- an alternate universe version of that first film. I thought you were going to say it reminds you of marriage. <laughs> oh, there's that too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking around. I'm no comment. (laughs) 
and this has been done in a lot of movies. Like Back to the Future really kind of made this famous for a whole generation. You have movies like Looper that deal with that about like killing yourself. Uh, what was that shitty Ashton Kutcher movie? Butterfly, Butterfly effect. effect. Butterfly Effect. I mean, it's literally in the title. Uh, yeah. By the way, if you want to see a really bad movie, watch. They they made a bad movie even worse with the deleted ending of the Butterfly Effect. <laughs> which... Oh my gosh! Never that... saw that movie. But, uh, oh, but that ending. All right, so I got to spoil the Butterfly Effect, everyone. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to spoil a 20 plus year old movie, but so the, the the deleted ending is he kills himself in the womb. Oh he, Jesus! He, he in utero wraps the umbilical cord around himself to kill himself. He strangles Jesus. himself with his own umbilical cord. My goodness! Knowingly, yeah. And, and <sighs> like so, so time travel is like this movie talks about. Like you know, is I couldn't help it. I had to make sure it. I didn't need to because there's only one. You know, Ricardo Montalban. Um, but even without the fake chess piece, it's it, a welcome addition I wasn't expecting. Yeah, This was also before Fantasy Island. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Adam, all I think of when I see him, though, is the way George Takai says his name. That's all <laughs> Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> yeah, he would also be in, uh, you know, we talked about sequels. He was also, you know, we mentioned Star Trek Two. Uh, we'll talk about Cannonball Run 2 at some point, I'm sure. Will we? Why will we talk about Cannonball Run? I It'll think we talk about Naked Gun before we talk about Cannonball Run. Oh, that's true, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>